Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined, as per usual, by Catherine Rubino hey, and, Chris, and Chris Williams. Hi. And uh, yeah, so we're here to, as usual, discuss the big stories in the legal universe or legal tangential universe, I suppose, of the week. And it's, I mean, thinking like a lawyer, because you can use your legal mindset to do a lot of different things. I feel like you're leading us to a very specific conversation that I am very anxious to have. Well, I am leading us to a conversation that you very much wanted to have specifically (laughs) and requested, and it will take the place of today's small talk. Seriously? Yeah. I, Mm. I, I specifically set up a situation where we did not have to do small talk, and then you still gave me the sound effect for small talk oh yeah i did okay. i just i just okay. wanted to be clear for all our loyal listeners listening in i was not consulted on small talk not being a thing <laughs> and i was and i was very excited to talk about some some a uh, couple pairs of jewelry i had coming in the mail but whatever i'm not important let's let's no some by all means no 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 i insist no, no let's do whatever let's do like whatever was more important like than consulting chris conversation. no 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 <laughs> I, I i'm now intrigued by this so what is there some legal connection to this stuff you're getting? Yes, I'm going to be a sexy lawyer. That's the connection. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, nice. All right. So you bought yourself an early Christmas gift. Is that what happened? It's either an early Christmas gift or a very late birthday one since my birthday is in March. But oh, I got myself, okay. got myself or a super things. early Christmas birthday gift. Hey, you know, hey. it's important to have foresight. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, so I'm excited you buy? about it. Is it so just like I, a giant JD or? No, I have a... I have I have tact. No, it's a it's a okay. small JD actually. No, it's a, <laughs> I got a I got a little dangly earring. You know that I like I like the dangly earring, but it's it's like it, it's cool. It, it goes on just one ear, but that's cool because I only have one ear pierced from when I was like a a baby. I, I was okay with the first one, but after that, my mom, I was like I'm not a fan of this. My mom listened to my warnings, but I'm getting that. I'm getting a fancy ring. I had a ring before, like a pinky ring, but it broke because. Mm. Uh, I guess I hit too many a door handle, but I miss it. <laughs> so I'm getting, I'm re-upping on that. That's funny. Uh, the first gift that I bought for myself with my first bonus from big law when I started being a lawyer was a ring as well. I oh. bought myself like a fancy like cocktail ring that actually doesn't, it's too big for me now, but I could get it sized if I wanted to. Maybe that'll That's be cool. my Christmas gift to myself. Yeah, there you go. I didn't even know rings flank came in that flavor cocktail. I thought they were just like signet rings and wedding rings or what have you what's a those are also those are uh, a cocktail ring is like um like a kind of a fancy like diamond studded kind of a an affair um it was like a i know it's really pretty i'll I'll wear it someday um but it was like for my middle finger on my right hands and it was like all like a yellow and white diamonds and like a design in the center so did you do it just so that your FUs were in style or <laughs> I did it because it was really pretty and I saw it in the window as I was walking home from work one day and I said, I deserve this. I've worked a lot. So That's that cool. was why. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I uh did not. The only scenario in which I'm going to have a ring is if I, in fact, win the Super Bowl. And since that's starting to look <laughs> like it's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? You can uh, do a lot with a JD. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can. And it's almost your initials. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Catherine, there yeah. is a 
sports situation that is becoming rapidly a legal situation. Yeah, so it completely fucked up my weekend. Um, The F1 championship was decided theoretically this weekend. Lewis Hamilton absolutely should have won, and I refuse to acknowledge Max Verstappen's championship. So there we are. Versed asterisk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, all the asterisks. Yeah. So uh, the the crux of this for anybody who doesn't follow this sport, I, I actually, first of all, you should follow well, the sport. Right. But but what's interesting about it uh, that makes it a thinking like a legal thing is there are now actual lawyers involved because there are actual questions of statutory interpretation coming up. And, you know, we make fun of some, like a few years ago, there were sports fans, uh, football fans who like sued over the result of a game because of a missed pass interference call or something like that. Uh, But this is, this is where there were, there are actual legal regulations that just got ignored. And at this point, they're all admitting that the, the people in charge are admitting they ignored the rules, but claiming they have the ability to change the rules of the sport on the fly if they feel like Why it. Why have them written down then, which, one may query. Which strikes one as an interesting precedent to set. And so now this is very likely, unless something really crazy happens in the next few hours, going to be elevated to a series of European judges who will decide mm-hmm. how to interpret these rules. Uh, it... But to give a sense of, so what my favorite, one of my favorite classes in law school was statutory interpretation for a lot of reasons, not the least of which I was a policy debater in college, which boo. all which all three of us were. Uh, so triple boo. And, <laughs> and back in my day, topicality was a little more formalized than it is today. There were a lot of references to the old canons of construction, uh, grammatical construction and stuff like that. So statutory interpretation was great because it was basically giving Latin terms to things I already knew how to debate in topicality. Things like if you have two clauses and they're open to multiple interpretations, but one of the interpretations makes the other irrelevant or redundant or nonsensical, then that's the wrong interpretation. And even though you can take that clause and say, here, it means this, if it makes something else not make sense, that's why you would throw it out. I mean, which, I still judge policy debates, and that is the controlling interpretation in my mind. If somebody oh, yeah. makes that analysis, I'm like, yes, we can't have their interpretation because it would moot out other parts of the topic. Right, and that whole mooting out thing, it used to be a mm-hmm. lot more formalized sure. in the conversation. Debaters have taken shorthand as the years have gone on, but it is a thing that exists, and it's a thing that, as I read the sporting regulations of this sport, seem to be very much in play right now mm-hmm. because when you look at it, it says, here's the procedure for dealing with lapped cars at the end of a race. And then there's another clause that says the race director has the ability to end cautions whenever they want. And they're taking the stance, the the FIA, that that latter decision, that, that latter clause trumps everything else, which then raises, why would you there would be no reason to have the first regulation if the second one trumps it. So using that canon of construction, one would assume that it means that you do not have the ability to use that latter one to 
invalidate the first. Mm-hmm. And for those who maybe did not follow the controversy uh, in F1, what happened was Lewis Hamilton had about a 12 and a half second lead. The manager of the uh, the number one rival, Max Verstappen's team, was already basically giving a concession speech on television saying, literally, uh, it would take a miracle for us to win. Then Latifi, one of the Williams drivers, crashed close to the end of the race. They had a yellow flag, which means that everyone has to slow down and it bunches the cars up. So the fact that he had this lead was was taken away. Max Verstappen was able to change his tires during this t- this time, but there were cars that should have been were a lap off the cycle, right in between the first person and the second person. And the question of what you do with the folks who are off the primary lap is written down. If there's a yellow flag, what happens to those folks that are in between? You have a couple of options. The first is you can let them continue to stay there, or you can have any lapped driver go around, get themselves unlapped. To, to, to and be then, very specific, because I think this yes, is important. Yes, yes. This will the, come the up specific, again. This will come up again. The specific wording is any lapped cars Correct. are required to pass. Right. So they can unlap themselves. And then at the conclusion of the following lap, after they've been unlapped, then the racing can resume. Right. However, if if the regulation had been enforced to the actual way it is written, the race would have ended under a yellow flag and there would have been no opportunity for Max Verstappen to take over the lead from Lewis Hamilton. And Michael Massey, who's in charge of, said he was only going to allow some cars to unlap themselves, not all the cars. So so that he could have the race happen. Right. Which screwed up other people's races, but allowed this thing. The the any required, though, is critical because another topicality discussion is the word any can have multiple meanings. It can mean some, it can mean all. But in this grammatical structure of the sentence, any lapped cars are required to do whatever, that means all of them. There is no scenario where you can claim that that means some or it makes the word required make no sense. Uh, It's it's unbelievable that they are going with this as their defense. And as a lawyer, I kind of felt like, and as a lawyer specifically who did criminal, white-collar criminal defense, it was almost as though the way the stewards were trying to defend themselves was like they were blathering to the cops and answering every question (laughs) and digging themselves deeper. Because there's a way in which they could have said there are broad powers for throwing the rule book out if it's like a matter of safety. They could have said, well, we decided there was a safety reason for this. But they didn't. They instead went all in and said, our interpretation is that any doesn't mean all. They also, that clearly makes no they also sense. specifically said that the regulations were not fully, they used the word right. fully followed. I was like, there is no, there, there, there's no, there's no kind of pregnant, right? right? Either you follow the rules or you don't. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, this was the ideal sporting event for lawyers because you're watching it and just thinking, this is, this is all written down. <laughs> this isn't a... Qu- they wrote down the rules for a reason. This is not a question of a missed call, like somebody didn't see a pass interference or something like that. Uh, this is a situation where they literally changed the rules of how races work at the very end arbitrarily. And to the detriment of to probably the, detriment the best of racer driver. that has ever raced in the history of yeah. racing. Well, 
Yes. And <laughs> so now this will be elevated, uh, assuming nothing crazy happens, to actual judges who will have to interpret all of this. And there are lawyers already on the scene drafting documents. It's it's going to yeah. be great because. Yeah, there was we, an in-house lawyer for Mercedes that was already in the first uh, hearings of appeals that were ruled against. Mercedes. And that's the moment you knew you knew this was serious because they knew that the other folks were going to were going to answer questions what the cops questions basically <laughs> that's you brought a lawyer because you knew they were about the to other side to did screw not up. and you wanted to be in a position to contemporaneously document every statement they make here because it's going to be used against them fascinating and it it does set up a very interesting next couple of months for those of us who are lawyer sports fans to see the law make its way into sports. I mean, potentially, given the shadiness of the particular sporting agency involved, what will probably happen is under the table, they'll give Mercedes $20 million and have it all go away. But (laughs) assuming it actually goes the distance, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Somehow, the stewards try to undig the hole they dug for themselves. It'll be very hard. I think that the credibility of the sport has been hurt tremendously. I don't see much of a difference between wrestling and Vince McMahon right now than than what they happened this past weekend. I think that for a newish fan, which I am because of the Netflix series Drive to Survive, which, you know, obviously has a big impact on American, at least, F1 fandom. It's just shocking that a sport that collects most of its money from foreign dictators and fascist (laughs) governments would possibly be corrupt. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. You make a good argument. Yeah. Anyway. One cool. thing I, I do want to say yeah. is as a person, the only reference point that F1 has to me is I think it's a racing thing. Captain Falcon was involved in. And I know that from this game, uh, Scoop of Smash Brothers. Well, he was part of the wackiest race, right? Or was that what it was called? There was a Hanna-Barbera cartoon back in the day. I think and you're talking about was... Speed Racer. No, 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 no. Um, he was also a racer, obviously. Mm. Um, On speed, apparently. But the, um, was it Wacky Races? I, I think it was Wacky Race or something like that. But it was about all of the Hanna-Barbera characters, of which Captain Falcon would be one, doing a, a big race. And like Muttley was involved and Dirk Dastardly and whatever. Captain uh, Falcon anyway. is F-Zero, according to a little birdie that did not just message me in the Zoom chat. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Because it sounded like you were talking that bullshit, but I was like, I, I don't have my phone in front of me immediately to check. But anyway, the whole time y'all were talking, I was thinking about uh, racing and fighting games and also about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, which is a fun show for lawyers to watch if you want to enjoy good television because it is riddled with what should be copyright infringement. <laughs> like... <laughs> There's there's like a character named Ario Speedwagon. Like it's just full of like musical references. And like one of the main character mean evil villains is a guy named Dio. Shouts out to uh people who listen like to listen to Rainbow in the Dark, what have you. But yeah, I just wanted to make a contribution about uh media that involved lawyerly aspects. So there you go. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I get the the F Zero thing now. I'm just trying to figure out who was the like hero of wacky races. Then was it Harvey Birdman? I mean, it would have been Birdman at the time, not his ultimate legal Birdman. interpretation. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, this Birdman. ends th- Birdman. That is correct. <laughs> this hereby ends the extended version of. 
<laughs> Small talk. Uh, so we can me. run through some, uh, may- maybe a topic here. Sure. I want to talk about totally insecure law firms. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like it. You know, I, you would think that their law firms are literally in the, mid- in the middle of giving out tremendous sums of money to associates. So you would think that their credibility was not really being attacked at the moment. Yeah. So we all, all three of us, and I don't necessarily want to name any names of firms here, but all three of us last week wrote stories that elicited some degree of mind-boggling insecurity from law firms. Uh, Wait, they responded? I mean, some of us. Oh, did you not get one? Uh, I didn't get one. Oh, Well, he wrote the story that was... Ah, that okay. Was, Your yours we thought would get one and hasn't. Uh, oh, others okay. of us have. Uh, so well, look, and I did two of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but but that's the thing. Maybe you just got the ones who are secure in their own reputation. Mm. So mm. we're dealing with when we talk about these bonus stories, we're talking about big law behemoths, global entities that are raking in cash and well known for their international approach but we still always refer to them by where they're from and headquartered. That is convention in the industry. The ABA Journal does it. We do it. Law.com does it. Uh, when, say, and this is not a, fir- not a firm that we talked about. There was none from the West Coast. But if a firm headquartered on the West Coast but with a global presence announces, we will often refer to them as West Coast Mainstay or West Coast Behemoth. Right. Or, or like whatever. we'll do like a, an article that's like, oh, oh, the bonus numbers have come to the West Coast. Right. We will talk about it that yeah. way because everybody knows that's a global firm, but it actually matters where they're from. In fact, a lot of these firms, especially the West Coast firms, West Coast based firms, are eager for that to be the description put on them because they want that the the cultural baggage that comes with that. They want to be known as we're an upstart go-getter. We aren't part of the staid New York establishment, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, firms with a Midwest roots. You will talk about Midwest-based firms. Cleveland-based Jones right. Day. Cleveland-based Jones Day. You'll talk about these firms in these terms, and everyone knows they're global, but it says something, usually to their benefit, that they have these kind of smaller town roots. Maybe it's a, you think it's an old money understated is the new excellence thing? Well, so what's weird is the complaints we're getting are from fairly old money organizations. <laughs> so, to be clear, because I don't think it's been said yet, and I yeah. can talk about it because nobody cared enough to contact me. We're talking about magic <laughs> <That's> circle firms. <laughs> well, we, we aren't just talking about them, but that is okay. one of them. So mm-hmm. a number of, so magic circle firms, which are the moniker we use for London-based UK firms. Of a certain size. Of yes. a certain There's like size. A s- it's their specific number of firms that were included in this magic circle, then there's silver circle. It was just a way to categorize large law firms. Yes, it's it's the elite of the elite of UK-based law firms. Very and, geometric. And while <laughs> they are international in scope, with the exception of, a guess, I guess, Slaughter in May isn't international. But the point is, while the rest of them are international in scope, they're referred to as the magic circle firms because everybody knows that's their tradition, that's the mindset that that they come from, etc. We started getting from at least one magic circle firm really annoyed, and it's never from lawyers. 
It's mm-hmm. always from some PR hack, right? Because right. the lawyers are smart enough to know that everybody talks about it this way. But we started getting people complaining that they're being called Magic Circle because it suggests that they're just UK, which is, I don't understand who they think is getting that impression by reading a legal website. Wait, they know um they know globalization yeah. happened, right? right. It, well, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, or is it just me? Like well, the no, assumption, it's the, it's like. The, it's the opposite. They they think that they should exist in a sort of transnational borderless worldview now because they are. But that's just not how anybody talks about them or has ever talked about these organizations. The clients know that they're a global law firm, one would assume, any client that can pay those rates anyway. Coming out of law school, you know that they're an international, you know, international firm based somewhere else because you've done your research when you're going to find work. Nobody doesn't know what these people are. Also, more to the point, I think that not referring to where these firms are based, whether it's a a U.S. city that they have their largest office in or it's international or whatever it is, actually does a disservice to folks, especially folks who are younger or just starting out in their careers, to understand the differences, whether it be in culture, whether it be in the way that sick time is accounted for, because, you know, a California firm is going to have different requirements. They don't. But But whatever, they might have a different attitude about it. Let's say that. But there are there are increasingly small differences between uh, the cultures of firms, but they do exist and they are important. And where they're based may account for some of those differences. Yeah. And it's it's not like so there is a Boston firm historically that is all annoyed that they were referred to as Boston based, which is where their biggest offices and where their headquarters has always been, though I gather they now have a managing partner in New York. And so theoretically, maybe it's changed. Uh, But it's, you know, the bulk of their attorneys are Boston based. And everybody knows they're global. Their AMLAW numbers show that. But they're all complaining about the idea that somebody attached them to Boston. And look, part of me understands that as someone who lives in New York, as far as I can understand, Boston's entire reason for being is having an insecurity complex. But I mean, from sports on down, you know, but any listeners from Boston, please hate male Joe Patrice. <laughs> I need to see this fall out. I mean, I he didn't even be... pronounce the H in Boston. You got to be mad. Or something. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't even think you'd be sad about that. I, I wouldn't. They, 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 give, they give me strength. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just Boston has such an in- inferiority complex that Boston firms feel this way. But like nobody views them. And when we refer to them as a Boston firm, we're referring to their culture and history. We're not talking about them being a shingle that only that, that doesn't operate outside of Massachusetts. Right. It's just so unbelievable. But you know, hey, that's where we where we are these days. Um, maybe maybe the market has reached a point where whether it's Chris, your globalization point, where they all want to be transnational actors and ignore various local environmental laws or something, or whether they have deep concerns about being tied to where they're from for some reason, like embarrassed by it. I don't know. But I mean, if I was was from London, I don't know if I would yell that out to, you know, maybe I I just feel like the London firms would love it because they're from this like classical old school 
head of commerce sort of place. I mean, right. I mean, I guess post Brexit, they may not love it, but you know, is it historically being from London is a lot better than saying you're from a lot of places, but <laughs> now I'm just imagining Mary Poppins issuing a motion to like desist or something. <laughs> uh, well, you know, she would never have to worry about word count because if you make supercalifragilisticexpialidocious <laughs> one word, that you're you're gonna wow. make the limits. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one reason to go to law school. It is a reason to go to law school because you can you can be a lawyer. Right. Yeah, right. You, you you go there to be a lawyer not, and not an accountant. Right. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, let's finish up real quick with a conversation about law firm that didn't have the best week. Latham & Watkins, they had a holiday party. A departmental one, just the New York corporate department had a holiday party. They got everyone together. Didn't go great. Well, it may or may not have, but bunches of people certainly got COVID as a result. At least mm. 10 associates appear to have come up with COVID. Mm. Uh, this prompted the firm to cancel all future in-person Which holidays. Which seems prudent. Parties. Yeah. Hey, look, a lot of people are irritated with Latham about this. I will say I I was of two minds on it. On the one hand, I think Latham did handle this largely correct. The firm is entirely vaccinated. Right, it has they have a, a vaccine a, mandate, right. which, which not every bless. firm does, mm -hmm. and it, they should, and good for them on that. So their logic was everyone is vaccinated. We can go forward with this in-person party. I mean, I would 100% go to a party in those circumstances. I think that's true. I would too. And yes, as somebody who has gotten COVID post being fully vaccinated, mm -hmm. it does happen. Uh, mercifully, it is less serious when you're fully vaccinated. And hopefully that remains true for everybody who got it at Latham. But it happens. And you have to be cognizant that that's a risk. And I think the firm handled it correctly by telling people to stay home, getting them tested, canceling future events to make sure it doesn't happen again. All of that is prudent. What I did think was not necessarily prudent and something worth discussing is the concept of mandatory fun, which those of us who worked in firms are all aware of mandatory fun. That is when the firm decides to have a party that you don't want to go to, but you have to go to it because your career depends on it, whether it's working, you know, hanging out with the team, you know, making connections, networking, whatever it is. All of which are real. They are real. And they're not necessarily bad things, I don't personally think, but it is a concept that happens in your life as a lawyer it's just one that may not be a good idea right now. Because mm. even though these people are vaccinated, you don't know their lives. You don't know who they might be around. They may have young kids who can't be vaccinated. They may have immunocompromised friends and family. Putting a situation where they are feeling compelled to go to an event where catching COVID is a possibility is a problem. And you don't want to you don't want to set that up. And to the extent that that's a possibility, holiday parties are dangerous territory right now because it seem it can very much feel like mandatory fun at a stage where 
that can be risky. Yeah, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, I just, I caution law firms to be aware, and I think partners don't even understand it a lot of times, but be aware that your party may make people who are uncomfortable going to the event feel they have to go and guard against that, whether that's by canceling the party or by being bending over backward to clarify that people don't have to go. Right. Because it doesn't, the pressure doesn't always come from the top of a department or something oh, yeah. like that. Oftentimes it's like a third year associate who's like to a first year, come on, let's go. It would absolutely yeah. have been me. Yeah. Absolutely. As a mid-level mentor to younger associates, I was the one saying, come with us to this. There's a partner who's going out drinking right now. Let's go with them so that, you know, you can get some FaceTime and whatever. I, like I, I encouraged that. Yeah. And I think that was the right call at the time, but Times I would they have been the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would have been the problem under these circumstances and firms need to understand that that's coming from well-meaning mid-levels too, and they need to police it. Yeah. Well, let's hear from our friends at Lexicon. Here's a message just for the attorneys out there. So you passed the bar, joined a firm, or even built your own. Now are you finding out that you're doing more administration than actual law practice? Lexicon can help. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience streamlining administrative tasks like timekeeping, HR, billing, client intake, and more. So you can focus on maximizing billable hours and increasing client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com go to learn more. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of another show. You should be reading Above the Law so you can see these stories before they happen. Uh, well, they, not before they happen. As they happen. As they no, happen. We, right. we, we, have a, we had a new iPhone update. We have precognition now. Yeah, we, we are not <laughs> precogs. But you can read them as they happen, as well as read other stories beyond the ones that we talk about here. You should be getting these shows delivered to you automatically by subscribing to the show through the podcast service of your choice. You should give reviews, write something, give stars, writing something's even better because it shows that you're engaged enough to take the time to say that host has the best voice or whatever it is. Who, who do you think they're talking about then, Joe? I think we know who you, we're talking about. Not you. Mm. And I'll take this compliment toward me as an opportunity to say... <laughs> If you are the PR head of a multinational law firm, please complain to me at Chris, uh, whatever my name is on the emails. I think it's Chris Williams at Above the Law. I would love to give a really snarky take on your insert name X firm from yeah. me to yours. I think we all we all love that. So you should also be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine's other podcast. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You should check out the other shows by the Legal Talk Network. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. He's at Rights for Rent. And I think that's everything. Peace. See you all later. Have a good one. 